Welcome to Behavioral Health in the New Normal, a podcast developed by Prestige Community Resources, aimed at bringing healing back to our community through knowledge, expert advice, and positive messaging. The show is a joint venture between the Department of Behavioral Health and Prestige Community Resources, funded by SAMHSA in response to the challenges currently impacting our communities. Hosted by Paul Wells Sr., who uses over 30 years of extensive clinical social work experience to conduct insightful interviews with experts and professionals on a wide range of topics that impact the Washington, D.C. community. From behavioral health crisis to education to financial hardship and anything in between, this show will provide information and insights that will surely make a difference in your life. Hello, and welcome back to Behavioral Health in the New Normal. I am here with Luani Kunkau. Luani, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? All right. I am a clinical social worker by trade. Currently, I am a clinical manager at Prestige Healthcare Resources in the District of Columbia. I uh, went to Howard University for grad school. I also went to the University of Columbia for grad school as well. Uh, mental health for me is a very personal matter. Uh, I'm also a consumer, so I'm not just a mental health professional. I'm also a consumer. I am about 15 years in recovery, and it has been an interesting journey. And I know that having access to mental health resources, psychiatrists, therapists, uh, case managers, having access to all that has made a great impact on my quality of life, and it is my sincere hope and mission as a mental health professional to make sure that those of us who are affected by mental illness, like myself, have access to that so that they are also able to pursue their dreams, aspirations, and live fulfilling, powerful, enriching lives. Okay, and you said that you are a consumer of services in your journey. Can you give us a little, if what you're comfortable with sharing, can you give us a little bit more about your journey and your experience with mental health? Sure. I started having symptoms probably when I was about 27 or 28. And it really, I didn't know what was going on. It's funny because I took psychology in school, but you know, when you're sick, you don't know what's going on. And I started having symptoms and nobody knew what was going on. And, you know, it was a progression. At first, I could still manage. I could still hold the job and I could still function. But eventually, at some point, it really, really got bad. And I could not perform. I would were saying, we can't hear you speak. Well, what do you mean? I'm talking. And, you know, I was basically, I was not coherent. So it literally progressed to the point where I went off a cliff. And my employer back then thought that I was on drugs, you know, and they offered to get me up. I said, no, I'm not on drugs. So I lost my job and I was terminated because I was mentally ill, but it said that I was on drugs and didn't want the help. And then after that, I was sick for a little while, for a while, and it took my people a while to figure what was wrong. My immediate family was not around me. They had already left South Africa. And so some of my friends picked up, but of course I was in denial. I didn't think anything was wrong. And, you know, I had a lot of connections, support from my family, even though they were far away. My dad would call his friends and they would come in, yeah, come on over. You know, you can start on Monday. The offer letter will be ready for you. All you got to do is sign it. And I would show up. You know, I was paranoid. I said, everyone were to give myself my own family. Was that to get me, you know? And this went on for a while. And then 
my landlord where I was staying, you know, I we connected on some level. And, uh, you know, he was a pastor and uh, he helped me out. And shortly thereafter, I was diagnosed. And after I was diagnosed, like, you know, night and day, you know, the medication that I took worked for me, like a charm, no side effects. I've been on it for 15 years and it's still medication. I think normally with psychotropic medications, you gotta take other medication to counteract the side effects like the tremors or the involuntary almost body movements, you know, and that don't have any of that. Uh, so that was the first time that I had a psychiatric when I was diagnosed. And then I was okay for about five years and my doctor, or three years, I think. And my doctor took me off the medications, the medication because he thought he had misdiagnosed me with paranoid schizophrenia. He thought, well, you know, maybe it was something else because you're responding to the medication and you're functioning you're right. And he took me off the medication. And that's when the real crazy started. You know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sensitive to the word crazy. You know, I mean, I don't think it is a personal slight when that word is used around me. So that's when the real crazy start. I did okay without my medication for about 10 months, but by the 10 months, it was lights out. You know, I packed my bags. I left my parents. You know, by the time I was in the US, I left my parents because they were allowed to get me. I left school. I packed my bags, got on a one-way ticket. I went to South Africa. And I withdrew all the money that I had. And I didn't have much, you know, as a student, didn't have much, but I withdrew all of it. I was walking around with cash on me back mm -hmm. with the rent in South African uh, rand, you know, not dollar. And I was walking around with it on me, not realizing that's dangerous. So when I got there, I went back to my landlord, the, the one who helped me out the first time that I was diagnosed. And he let me stay for about uh, a couple of days. And so you know what? I need the money and I have a tenancy right to move in. So, you know, you're gonna have to leave. And I just could not connect the dots. That's how seriously L I was. I couldn't get a dust. I had So how did you you were you said you were that seriously ill? And um, so how did you get how did everything get back on track for you? Like everything got back on track. I ended up being homeless and uh while being homeless for I think I was by homeless for about a week or two weeks. I can't recall because I didn't have a calendar on me or anything like that. Uh, literally living on the streets. Uh, and uh, one day I would start to walk up and down the highway. And people started calling the police. You know, there's somebody walking up and down the highway. And the police officer obviously had been trained mental health. Took one look at me that mm -hmm. I was having a nervous breakdown. He took me to a hospital where I was FD12. And I stay there. The medication they gave me isn't one I normally take. So I, it took a while for it to get came for about three months. I didn't know where I was or who I was or what I was doing. But once it kicked in, I texted my sister using one of the other residents' cell phone. She called me. My dad called about a minute afterwards. And about a week afterwards, uh, my parents did everything. They sorted my passport. And... Um, U.S. Embassy was really supportive. You normally you gotta go for an interview for these to get a visa, but they were very supportive and everything was organized. And within about a week, I was back in Maryland with my parents. I literally came back with nothing but the clothes on my back. That is literally an incredible story. That 
is incredible. And I can understand why you relate to consumers and um, are able to help them in the manner that you are. So that is an incredible story and you should be so proud of yourself. I guess my a question that I would have, um, just knowing all of that, you now work as a mental health provider. And that's a lot of, and that can be stressful at times. And you're also a consumer of services. So how have you been taking care of yourself in the pandemic? Because the pandemic is a stressor all on its own. So for me, I do a lot of things, but if I had to just narrow it to three, I have to say my faith, my people, and exercise, you know, Mm -hmm. that's my recovery plan. You know, so when I say, you know, well, when I say exercise, I should rephrase that science, you know, so my faith, science, and last but not least, my people. So, you know, uh, Jesus is my, I mean, I know some people say that's not scientific, but Mm -hmm. after and also science, by science, I'm referring to medication, exercise, sleeping six to eight hours, all not doing drugs, no alcohol, um, and for my people having that support system, you know, they know, you know, they keep an eye on me. I mean, my dad has a key to my apartment. He ran away, comes in to make sure I'm taking my medication. I mean, I take it, you know, but he, he does that. He will do that. Mm-hmm. He'll randomly pop by and he knows where I keep it. He'll look in there and I have it in a tray, you know, for every single day of the week. And he looks at it. So a support system is critical for anybody experiencing mental illness. Without it, it is the flooding. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, we all know that mental health is very important, um, especially for frontline workers. So how would you, because we want to teach people how to practice positive or good self-care. So what would be some tips that you would give individuals to kind of do that? Say I don't know how, I don't know anything about self-care. I don't know any of the terms, any of the terminology. What are some things, what are some tips you would give individuals to kind of just take care of themselves? Because we often forget, as frontline workers, we often forget to take care of ourselves in the process. I agree with that. And I think the first thing is carving out time for yourself. You know, just like you would if you made an appointment with your doctor for a physical or your OBGYN, you wouldn't necessarily make an appointment with yourself, whether you're a morning person, a night person, or somewhere between. So you make an appointment with yourself, whereby, you know, whether it's for 10 or 15 minutes or an hour, however long it is you have on your calendar that you cannot miss. And you let your people know that this is my time. No phone calls, no nothing, you know, I'm doing me. And self-care means different things to different people. Some people may not be, may not experience exercise or working out of self-care. So once you figure what self-care is to you, what is that makes you feel relaxed? What is that makes you feel your best? What is it when you do you feel, yes, this is living. You know, so whatever that is, carve time out, make time for it. You know, for me, it's definitely exercise. For me, it's meditating, spending time, you know, reading scriptures, praying, you know, for me, spending time with my family. Obviously, it's different with COVID, you know, we have to do things socially distant and virtual, you know, but mm-hmm. bring time for yourself and figure out for yourself what is it that makes you feel relaxed and makes you feel happy, makes you feel like, yes, I'm taking care of myself. It could be, it could be reading a book, it could be hiking. It could be journaling, whatever it is. It's different things to different people. 
So, and I guess a follow-up question would be to those of, uh, who are frontline workers, their support system, what are some things, what are some just suggestions that you would give to our support system um, to kind of just help frontline workers make it through the pandemic and feel supported through the pandemic? For the family and the people, I would say just being there, you know, just because somebody gets up in the morning every single day and goes to what is essentially a war zone, you know, except it's just dead bodies and sick people all around, doesn't mean that he or she's okay, check in. You know, like, how are you doing? And actually listen, let him or her vent. If he or she needs a shoulder to cry on, you know, it might have to be virtual or socially distant shoulder to cry on, you know, <laughs> or her, you know, have that shoulder to cry on. Mm. Just listening and being there and also caring for them. You know, if you have somebody in your family who, you know, is a former worker, you know, might mean, you know, cooking for him or her, it might mean watching his or her kids, you know, it might mean, you know, saying, listen, you know, uh, I know you got 20 million things, you know, let me help you out with cleaning your place or I'm going to pay somebody to come and clean your place for you. Whatever that is, you know, what, and find out what do they need, you know, ask them, you know, I know you're stressed, I know you're under a lot, what can I do to help lessen the load, what can I do to make you feel less stressed and do that. That makes a lot of sense. I think as people, we just, sometimes we want to offer support to people, but we don't necessarily know how to do that or know what kind of support they need. So for you to just say, yeah, just be there for them. I think that's a helpful temp tip that we can all use. So in the pandemic, I guess, um, just what are some things that have been, what, that you found helpful? Um, if we if we break down a day, what does the day look like for you? Um, and what are some things that you found helpful to kind of make it through? Because a lot of the things that we used to do, we can't physically go to therapy, but we can do telehealth, yes, but we can't physically go to therapy. Um, we can't, if, see, because one of my stress relievers is I shop. So I can't really go to the stores like I used to anymore. So what, what would a day look like for you? And so it depends if it's Monday through Friday. I mean, the days are the same, whether it's Monday through Sunday, but Monday through Friday, obviously, I work. So my day starts a little bit earlier than usual. Whereas then on Saturday and Sunday, my day starts around six or seven. Usually by six, I'm up. But during the weekday, you know, I'm up by four o'clock. I like to work out first because I feel like I need to be wide awake before I start to pray and meditate. And getting out of bed, you know, I might not be fully awake yet. So I don't want to try to meditate or pray half asleep. I'm sure God still hears, you know, whether you're sleeping or, you know, but I like to be present. So I start my day with a workout. And after I work out, I will meditate and read scriptures. And after I do that, I will get myself ready. And while I'm getting myself ready, I have all uh, Christian rock music in the background playing, you know, in my mind for the day. Mm -hmm. uh, then I will have breakfast. That's the last thing that I do. I usually have breakfast, you know, and then by about 6.15, 6.30, I'm leaving, heading off to work. And yeah, and then I get to work around 7.15 and yeah, my day starts. Okay. And it's around the weekend, I'm sleeping a little bit. So, but by six, I'm up. Of course, I again start with working out and reading scriptures and praying. But of course, 
have other things I gotta do, like cooking and running errands or hanging out with friends. Some of it usually is virtual because of the pandemic. But yeah, so it's different. Yeah. And um, so for someone who may be feeling burnt out, who may be feeling stressed out, um, if you have three, if you basically have any words of encouragement to kind of help them make that through that, and how can they realize some of the signs? How can a person realize some of the signs of just um, being burnt out? Being burnt out, I think we have to, I like to approach it from a, a, a two different ways, you know? I mean, somebody can be burnt out because they're in the wrong field, they're doing the wrong thing and they're not passionate, they're not into it. But somebody can also be burnt out with something they love. But in that case, I wouldn't call to it being burnt out. I would just refer to it as, you know, fatigue, you know, you know, mm-hmm. overwhelming, stressful, overwhelmed, overstressed. Like what's going with the, you know, uh, medical professionals who are treating COVID patients, you know, surrounded by death. You know, they all love what they do, but it's overwhelming and stressful. So, you know, if somebody is burnt out because he or she, you know, hates what he or she is doing, then, you know, he or she needs to do something about that, you know. Yeah. Get tools, get the knowledge to figure out what he or she wants to do and follow that passion. But if somebody's feeling, you know, stressed out or burnt out because they're feeling overwhelmed, they love what they do, but they're feeling overwhelmed, you know, then it might be important to find a way to step away and obviously we can't afford to be without our medical professionals. That might mean, you know, on the weekend, carving out, you know, on your time off and you have to be at work, carving out half a day or a day where by you're totally plugged off, you know. So, you know, and it means different things for different people. So if somebody feels that for them to recharge, she or she needs to be by him or herself out in the woods, then that's what he or she will do to recharge and to replenish. But if somebody feels that, she or she to return to replenish. She or she needs to spend the whole day playing, you know, with his or her kids or spending time with his or her girlfriend, you know, or boyfriend. And that's what she'll do. So figure out what is it that I need to do to feel recharged and rejuvenated and then make a day of it or as much time as your schedule allows. The more, the better. If I end every, every podcast this way. So if you could give three tips for frontline workers, um, t- to practice better self-care, what would those three tips be? Now, before I answer that, can I just quickly please apologize to my landlord? I actually assaulted him in the midst of my nervous breakdown. Yes, you can. Please I do. <laughs> I did. I did. Alan, if you're listening, I am sorry. He actually pressed charges, but they were dropped. And I think I spent like one or, one or two nights, you know, in jail, you know, you know, but he dropped the charge. Now I was, you know, without him, without anybody. So he dropped the charges. But I'm sorry, Alan. I wasn't myself. It was the mental illness. Okay. All right. So to answer your question, the three tips that I would give, you know, I think it's important. And I don't think this just applies to the pandemic. I believe this applies to life in general, you know, to find meaning and true purpose. It's important to serve a cause bigger than oneself. And that could be whatever it is that is for the person, whether it's faith, whether it's the planet, whether it's his or her family, whether it's, you know, the environment, whatever it is. But, you know, you have to have your reason for getting up in the morning, you know? Why do you get up in the morning? 
You know, I can't do it because I want to make more money or because I have bills to pay. That's not sustainable. So you have to, you know, serve a cause bigger than yourself and find out what that is for you. And the second one, I would have to say exercise. I know not everyone likes to exercise, but it does so much for you besides the physical benefits of keeping, you know, a lot of physical conditions out of the way. You, you know, you feel different. You know, it, it has a positive impact on mental health. And it doesn't have to be anything rigorous. You know, it could be going for a 15 minute walk, walking your dog. That's excellent. You don't even think about it. Or, you know, playing around the yard with your kids, whereby, you know, you guys are throwing frisbee and chasing after whatever it is. Just even 15 minutes. If you really don't like that, then spending 15 minutes in a sauna has the same impact on your mental health and physical health. And last but not least, relationships. We all need to be connected, you know, connected to our families, connected to our friends, connected to our coworkers, connected to our neighbors. And of course, you're not going to be best friends with everyone, but it's important for, you know, relationships. I mean, we're social creatures. We're made to socialize. So if somebody is trying to survive, yes, the pandemic has made that difficult because we're all, you know, socially distancing, but we can still connect virtually. It's not the same. It's not a substitute for face-to-face interaction, but it's better than nothing. Whether it's a phone call, a video chat, whatever it is, we all need to be connected to one another. So, Luani, I want to thank you for coming in today and talking to me. I think you gave some very helpful hints for frontline or helpful tips for frontline workers. Um, And thank you for taking your time to share your experience and your knowledge with us today. Thank you, Tanae. It was my pleasure. All right. And we'll talk to you and we'll see everyone later. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.